David was the R. Kelly of the Bible. He was an amazing musician whose personal life extended beyond infidelity to major abuses of power. But unlike R. Kelly, King David was never muted. His undeniably skilled songs have been popular for 3,000 years. And we cannot dismiss as adultery or she wanted it or she tempted him when you have a minor abused by an adult or a king ordering a subject to sexually submit to him. Bathsheba, like so many women today, could have said, me too. And while next week, in part two of the story, we'll explore the consequences that David did experience for his actions, hashtag mute King David never trended. So when I saw that this particular passage was coming up in the lectionary, the lectionary being the calendar that tells Catholics and many Protestants what to read and worship each week, I was just like, I can't. I have preached so much about sexual assault since my own assault and the police investigation and trial and sentencing that followed. And so there are days when I just can't turn on NPR or open Facebook And it is exhausting to open the Bible and find the same thing. So I'm trying not to preach about sexual assault today. And instead, just want to begin by noting that it's there in the text. And I'm tired, and you might be tired too. So I offer myself as a listening ear outside of this worship service to anyone who needs to reflect or share or process further. Instead, as we read this text this week, I keep trying to ask, what's the good news? What's the good news is always a question that we can ask of Scripture. It's called reading with the text. Reading with the text by asking, what's the good news? means that trusting that even in the harshest places and stories and words, God can speak. God does speak. God can and does speak good news into the worst of situations. And it's true in the Bible, and it can be true in our lives today. Now, there are other times that we read against the text. We rail against the scripture as it's recorded, and we challenge it, and we interrogate it. This is my first response when I read the story of David and Bathsheba. We read against the text, standing from a position of liberation, and ask, does this text liberate? Are these good news, are these words good news to the poorest weakest, most oppressed peoples of the earth. And if not, then it's not of God. Because God is the God of good news and liberation and freedom and justice and righteousness and peace. And we know this through Jesus Christ, our key to reading all of Scripture. So in reading against the text, we read alongside people who are harmed by our culture and the cultures of the Bible. And we ask, does this further harm people who are vulnerable? 
And if so, how do we challenge the human assumptions and stereotypes embedded by the human authors as they recorded their encounters with the divine? The good news in reading against the text is that God is absolutely big enough to handle it. As my friend Mike Mather says, God did not stop speaking when the book went to press, but continues to write in our lives and our stories today. This is why we have God sightings at the beginning of each worship service. Because scripture records God's interactions with human beings a long time ago, and our current wrestling with scripture and our own lives, it records in our lives how God interacts with God's world today. So sometimes we read against the text, and sometimes we read with the text. But always we read looking for gospel. That is, we read looking for good news. So this week, as we read the David and Bathsheba story, I ask you, what is the good news? And I ask myself this question over and over again. What's the good news? What's the good news? And the closest I got to good news was hurt people hurt people. This didn't seem like good news at first. But I think there may be some good news embedded in this harsh truth. Because a few weeks ago, we read about David's ascent to the throne. The former king, King Saul, treated women as objects. He offered David one woman as a wife, and then he took her away and gave her to another man. And then King Saul offered David another woman. This one is a reward. Women for King Saul and for the society were property and prizes. And David assumed these cultural values. And when David became king, he continued to treat women as objects and trophies. He viewed Bathsheba bathing without her knowledge or consent. And then he sent messengers, plural, to Bathsheba to coerce her into coming to the palace. David then killed Uriah by sending him into the hardest fighting, setting him up for an accidental wartime death. And this was exactly what King Saul had earlier tried to do to him. Saul had commanded David to get a hundred foreskins of enemy soldiers. Saul had repeatedly put David into dangerous positions, trying over and over, both stealthily and overtly, to kill David. And now, as David is king, he uses what he has learned from Saul to kill the man he views as his own enemy. Hurt people hurt people. We wound others in the way that we have been wounded. And without healing, we treat others not how we would like to be treated, but how we have been treated. Most of the time, we don't even see the connection. And in the worst cases, our own woundedness can cause us to harm other people preemptively cutting others before they can cut us off. Christian Picciolini is one person who, like David, shows us that hurt people hurt people. So I'm going to share in his words 
uh, from his TEDx talk entitled, My Descent into America's Neo-Nazi Movement. He says, I wasn't born into hate. In, quite, in fact, it was quite the opposite. I had a relatively normal childhood. My parents struggled to survive with raising a young family and a new business, often working seven days a week, 14 hours a day, taking on second and third jobs just to earn a meager living. And quality time with my parents was pretty non-existent. Even though I knew that my parents loved me very much, growing up I felt abandoned. I was lonely and started to withdraw, and then I started to resent my parents and become very angry. And as I was growing up, through my teenage years, I started to act out to try and get attention from my parents. And one day when I was 14, I was standing in an alley smoking a joint, and a man who was twice my age, with a shaved head and tall black boots, came up to me and snatched the joint from my lips. He put his hand on his shoulder and he looked me in the eyes and he said, that's what the communists and the Jews want you to do to keep you docile. I was 14 years old. I'd been trading baseball cards and watching Happy Days. I didn't know what a Jew was. And the only communist that I knew was the bad guy, my bad Russian guy in my favorite Rocky movie. And I definitely did not know what the word docile meant. But it was as if this man in this alley had offered me a lifeline. For 14 years, I'd felt marginalized and bullied. I had low self-esteem. And frankly, I didn't know who I was, where I belonged, or what my purpose was. I was lost. And overnight, because this man had pulled me in, and I had grabbed onto that lifeline with every fiber of my being, I became a neo-Nazi. You might be asking yourself right now, Picciolini continues, how does a good kid from a hard-working immigrant family end up going down such a dark path? One word, potholes. Potholes. I had a lot of potholes when I was a kid, and we all had them. You know, the things in life that we hit that invariably just kind of nudge us off our path. And if they remain unresolved or untreated or not dealt with, sometimes we can get dangerously lost down pretty awful corridors. Potholes can be things like trauma, abuse, unemployment, neglect, untreated mental health conditions, even privilege. And if we hit enough potholes on our journey in life, and if we don't have the resources or the help to navigate around them or to pull us out, Sometimes good people end up doing bad things. End of quote. Now, does this make everything, this explanation of potholes, make everything that he did as a neo-Nazi okay? No. There's no excuse. At some point, responsibility is ours no matter what has happened to us in the past. This is why in 12-step programs like AA, people in recovery make a list of all the people they need to offer amends to, and then they make amends. 
Unhealed hurt people hurt people. But healed hurt people know that there can be a new way. King David had been hurt. He'd been wounded. David had learned one way to act in this world, a way of domination and treating others as objects and eliminating or conquering those objects as needed. And that hurt people, hurt people reality doesn't excuse his behavior. It explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. No matter the potholes, David was still going to be held accountable for his actions. But in his accountability, David would confess. He would repent. He would work through the hurts that he had received and honestly own up to the hurts he then passed on to others. And this is part of the good news that we'll read next week. As for Christian Picciolini, as he left the neo-Nazi movement, he lost his friends, his business, his wife, his kids, his identity, his community, his pride. He paid a price. He lives with the knowledge that his eight years as a white supremacist spread hate across this country that he recruited hundreds of people, making way for Charlottesville, and writing and producing a song that Dylan Roof listened to before killing nine black people at Mother Emanuel AME Church. It is a burden that some days is too much for him to bear. So he concludes his story in this way. Since I've left the neo-Nazi movement, I've helped over a hundred people disengage from extremist movements, from white supremacist groups to jihadist groups. And the way I do that is not by arguing with them, not by debating them, not by even telling them they're wrong, even though, boy, I want to do that some days. Instead, I don't push them away. I draw them in closer. And I listen very closely for their potholes. And then I began to fill them in. When we see that hurt people hurt people, we, as followers of God the healer, can work for healing for all people. We can work for accountability and truth-telling and compassion and responsibility and grace. Because healed hurt people can become healers for others. We can be healed of our wounds. And we can extend that healing. Whether we read with the text or against the text, with our lives and the lives of those around us, we can always write a new chapter. The story of David does not end. The story of Bathsheba does not end. Our stories as people who wound and as people who have been wounded do not have to end this way. Because this is the good news. Every day, our God, our healer, puts before us life and death. And we can always choose life. Thanks be to God.